Hello, everyone. Welcome to the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. My name is John Mark Day. I serve as the Director of Leadership at Campus Life at Oklahoma State University, and I am thrilled to be your host. Now, today we've got a great conversation. We're going to be discussing the spring edition of New Directions for Student Leadership, which is entitled How Academic Disciplines Approach Leadership Development. To do that today, I'm really excited to welcome the editors of that issue, Matt Sauchek and Susan Komovez. Matthew Sauchek is an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication. He serves as the coordinator for the University of Florida's leadership minor. Additionally, he serves as a faculty member of the Challenge 2050 project, which is a program aimed at developing human capacity to meet the needs associated with a population projected to exceed 9.6 billion by the year 2050. Dr. Sachik focuses his research on leadership education, humility, and the creation of organizational leadership programs. He also teaches undergraduate and graduate level courses concentrated on interpersonal leadership development, organizational leadership, and advanced leadership theory. And outside of his research and teaching, Dr. Sachik serves as a consultant to the New York Times, where he focuses on the newspaper's educational programming for faculty and students within leadership education. And our second guest is Susan Komovez. Dr. Komovez is Professor Emerita in the Student Affairs Graduate Program at the University of Maryland College Park, where she taught until 2012. She's past president of both the Council for the Advancement of Standards in Higher Education and ACPA. Dr. Komovez is the co-author or co-editor of a dozen books, including Student Services, Exploring Leadership, Leadership for a Better World, The Handbook for Student Leadership Development, Management and Leadership Issues for a New Century, and cross-border enhancement for student learning and development. She was a member of the ensemble that developed the widely used social change model of leadership development, lead researcher on the leadership identity development model grounded theory, and was co-founder of the multi-institutional study of leadership. She received the ACPA Lifetime Achievement Award and the 2019 John S. Blackburn Distinguished Pillar of the Profession from NASPA. She is the founding editor of this Wiley New Directions for Student Leadership Series. Welcome, Matt and Susan. So great to have you here today. Thank you. So good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So, so uh, Matt, I, I want to get in with you. So you research humility. That's a fascinating subject. Why do you research humility and what is the connection with leadership? I really, uh, I love that question. Certainly, um, something that is very, uh, a huge passion of mine, just something that I really enjoy, not only researching, but trying to learn about, trying to, uh, to better understand in my own life. Um, I guess the reason why is, as I started kind of heading down this path uh, of leadership and reading as much leadership as I could, uh, came across a, a book, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, which most people um, are familiar with. And, and as I was doing my work in, in education, as I was going out and doing some consulting, it's funny, I would always run across that book on the shelves of managers or CEOs that I was talking to or talking about doing training. And I would always try to engage them around a conversation. You know, did you read the book? Did you engage it? And they said, oh, no, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. It really is funny because that book really kind of definitively talks about these level five leaders with humility and, and determination. And the more I, I got interested in humility, I found that it's, you know, one of those things that's in every world religion. It, it, it really lays the foundation for a great deal of philosophy. It's just something that 
when you ask people about, they would suggest that it is tremendously important. And yeah, it is probably something that we are lacking the most in our lives uh, right now, in our society right now. And it's amazing because the more I do research around leadership, the more I, I look into leadership, there's these strong correlations between humility and a ton of pro-social qualities like generosity and engagement and mentoring and leadership development. Um, Yet our our programs on the undergraduate and graduate level don't even oftentimes mention humility as being an important characteristic. And and I really do think, I just wrote an article this morning um, talking a little bit about humility, but talking about the connection to authentic leadership and how there's great questions now about uh, the, the validity of authentic leadership and are, are we ever able to get to authentic leadership? And, and the article was really kind of highlighting the importance of humility in things like servant leadership or altruistic leadership, but, but especially authentic leadership. And if we ever want to get to a place where authentic, authenticity means what we hope it means, we're going to need to go through this path of humility to get there. And that's why, I mean, I just really am passionate about how do we start understanding leadership in the practical sense and provide tools of humility to get to a place where we respond better to challenges. I love that. You know, it's so antithetical to, to kind of the common larger cultural understanding of leadership and yet so, um, so core to what many of us who engage in this work believe that leadership is uh, and, and could be. And so I love that, that sort of digging in and humility and the role that that plays. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm still blown away, Matt, that you said you wrote an article this morning. <laughs> I think that's amazing. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. I thought, you know, surely, I mean, I guess that's no big deal. That's fine. That's nothing at all. <laughs> it's probably the most important reason to study humility. I, I have loved working with Susan. I'm very humbled to work with someone like Susan. But Susan sent me an email maybe uh, a half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, before our podcast, as she does, as she has done over the last three years, uh, kind of taking care of me, looking out for me, and certainly providing me resources to better understand this humility. But the title of the article were The Seven Things Men Can Learn from Women Leaders. And it was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. I love every minute nope. of it. And, and within it is humility. I mean, they That's specifically right. say, stop trying to stop, or what was it? Stop saying you're, you're really humbled be actually humbled or something to that extent. And I, I really appreciate Susan for doing things like that. Awesome. Well, so Susan, you know, along, along those lines, you know, you actually came to Oklahoma State a few years ago and I got to hear you speak there and, and you gave this really fantastic presentation, but you said something in that that has always stuck with me. And to be honest, I've used it myself in every presentation I've given since then with, with proper attribution. But you said this, you said, leadership is the way that we invade the future. And I just found that to be so extraordinary and also so hopeful. So what do you mean by that? Well, I, I'm just honored you remembered something <laughs> from a speech. I think that alone says a lot about you, John Mark. Oh. I think that's terrific. I love that visit. Uh, I had not been to Oklahoma State, and it was it, it was eye-opening in many ways. Loved the visit. Okay. Uh, that that um, quote that you just uh, indicated meant something to you really comes, and I'll give you some context on that. Um, I somehow in my growing up years um, and in my early professional years, I became what I would say is a futurist. I actually joined the World's Future Society 
um, I, when I was in high school, I remember my history teacher giving us an essay to put ourselves in any period of time and write about what we would be like in that period of time. And I picked the future. Hmm. I, I, was, I, I love history, but I wasn't interested in going back. I was interested in what's coming and what's out there. So this idea of the future um, really gripped me. And I did a lot of reading, particularly in the 70s and 80s about that. And one of the authors was um, Alvin Toffler. And he wrote a book called Future Shock that uh, mm -hmm. gripped everybody's attention. It was one of those airport books that uh, then made it to all the morning news shows and all that. And there was a quote in there that I loved. He said, change is the way the future invades our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think about it now with COVID-19 and uh, the, the challenges to our democracy and the, the future that we just can't see ourselves out of right now is really driving so much that's happening. And the, the parallel then that I would use to that Toffler comment of change is the way the future invades our lives is to say leadership is the way we invade the future. Mm. So it's it's uh, taking on responsibility. It's assuming that leadership. It's um, knowing we have to work together to find uh, partial solutions to every complex problem we're facing. Um, when I was a first year student at Florida State back in um, 50 some <laughs> years ago, I guess 55 years ago at Florida State, I had a poster. I had several posters on my wall. I've written about them in various pieces, but one of them was from James Baldwin. I didn't even know who he was at that point. Mm. I have certainly learned since. But the quote that meant so much to me was, um, not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Mm. So I think it led to an interest in mine all my life of trying to be a realistic futurist. You know, how can we uh, define problems, call forth complex issues, label them, name them for what they are, racism, uh, heterosexism, whatever it may be, uh, but really then try to dig deep into them and face them. So Toffler said change is the way the future invades our lives. And the quote you liked was mine, that leadership is the way we invade the future. I love, I love that, that that came from, for you as a direct response to something else. Um, you know, you're, yes. you're turning that idea around and you're right. That's kind of that hopeful side of, of leadership that the future is coming, but leadership means that we have a role to play in shaping it. And there's just, there's such hopefulness in that right now. So for both of you, um, you know, I, I asked this question of everybody on the podcast. And it's particularly exciting to get to ask the two of you this, given your uh, breadth and depth of, of knowledge around leadership. But what is it that you are each reading or watching that's outside of the traditional leadership canon that's giving you some insights into leadership right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Now is a pretty unique time since we're uh, isolated and we're inside. So there's plenty of time to kind of catch up on some of the stuff that you might have wanted to in the past read and, and kind of engage with. I think uh, on one hand, uh, a book that I picked up about a week and a half ago um, is David Brooks' The Second Mountain. And it's kind of a, a conversation around a quest for a moral life, a happy life in this process. And I, I really have enjoyed David Brooks. He's a writer from the New York Times mm -hmm. and uh, his kind of his evolution through life is something that I've always been really interested to see. He, he's someone who does talk about humility uh, in his writing, but it's uh, almost been really interesting over the last couple of years how 
dramatically he's changed through some of the life events that he's had to go through. So probably not uh, tremendously humble uh, a number of years ago has mm-hmm. now become much more humble and, and, and really it, it, just such an interesting read. And then catching up on Netflix, I would be lying if I didn't say I got to see the Tiger King and some oh, others no. and really oh, kind no. of break it down, <laughs> break it down from a leadership perspective and, if we're all going to have to join uh, Tiger Colts uh, eventually, how, how I've used the mind in that process. So it's been good. That's good. You know, those of us in Oklahoma have very strong feelings about the Tiger King, right? I'm sure you do. Same as in, in Florida, you know? Oh, yep. It sure. may become like the Hunger Games. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. But thank you for asking that. Yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed this book. And it's not often I get to sit down and just kind of read something for the in, enjoyment of reading it at this point. Absolutely. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, Susan, how about for you? Well, I appreciated that response, Matt. I, I have to agree. I mean, the times are so um, unique now. And if someone was listening to this podcast in a year from now, I hope mm. it would seem uh, like a distant memory. I think we will instead see how it changes our times in mm. ways we don't know. But for me, it's all been the national news. I, I have, to, And I have to become one of these people that just turns off the TV because I just sit there planted in front of it watching um, uh, CNN and all these stations. So it's it's... It, for me, it's become challenging to think about how our democracy works, about Congress, the president, um, impeachments, yeah. uh, political parties. What's the role? Do they have a way out of the mess that they're both in right now? Um, and I did read a couple books on the presidency, the Woodward Fear book and Wolf's Fire and Fury. And um, so, you know, this whole um, how, how, do, how do a people in a country respond when the governmental leadership is or isn't doing what they think is right, particularly in a time of crisis and hmm. when so many lives are at stake. And so for me, it's been looking at the leadership questions out of that. I think there are lessons out of that too, um, but certainly as for lots of questions. And then I got hopeful. I read my Michelle Obama's Becoming, hmm. and I really enjoy, really enjoyed reading the personal story of her as a woman and as a feminist activist woman, a lawyer, and and then of course all the Obama uh, courtship and and years. It's it's really an inspiring book and with great insight and great love and hope for our country. Yeah. So I'm glad I had read that also. Um, so I would say those things. We we also subscribed now to BritBox, so I'm watching with captions lots of British detective shows like oh, The nice. Jury and, <laughs> and and looking at the British form of government. But for me, it's been all around. Uh, you know, I'm not a political scientist, but as just an informed citizen, mm. uh, looking at what are the how fragile a democracy can feel if we don't. Um, implement what has been accepted practice around the Constitution for its, you know, 300 years. I mean, what 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 do we do if it's not that? Yeah. So lots of questions. Absolutely, it is an interesting um, time in, in every facet of our lives right now. But I think one of those is we're seeing those those chal- uh, those assumptions that we have had around how our government operates. I think really being challenged, um, and the the. Again, we we hope that we can find and raise good leaders who will help us navigate through this. Um, but sometimes that seems uh, sometimes that seems more realistically optimistic, and sometimes that seems just optimistic. So uh, I think we'll, we'll learn a lot as we go through this phase. So I'm I'm so thrilled to have you both here today uh, to talk about the newest edition, the spring edition of New Directions for Student Leadership, and and you've entitled this how academic disciplines approach leadership development, which for those of us who teach leadership development on the college campus is such a, 
a useful and meaningful topic that we can we can really draw a lot out of. And so give us an overview of this issue and, and tell us why we want to talk about the academic disciplines approach to leadership to begin with. So, so Matt, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the question because I think it gets at something that we probably should have done uh, two decades ago is to really broach this topic about how many different disciplines are going to ultimately go down this road of teaching leadership, um, helping contribute to leadership education in, in this process. Uh, in the short answer, the reason for getting involved was uh, about three years ago, and it may be exactly three years ago, Susan uh, called me up. I had just gotten to um, at that point, University of Florida, and she called me up, and I had worked with Susan in the past on a, on a couple of committees, and, and one of my early decisions in my life, which has really worked out well for me, is that anytime I have a chance to work with somebody who's just extraordinary or really makes me better, just take that opportunity, and Susan yeah. had called and asked me to do that, and, and it was an easy no-brainer to just take on this edition with her, and she pitched the idea. She said it was something that she had been thinking about for a really long time, she had notes on it already. She was already talking about pitching it to other places, but, but felt like this was the right place for it to kind of fall. And I was so thankful she did because, once again, it, it's just a topic we should talk about for no other reason than I think people in higher education, certainly at the universities that I've been at, are fearful of others who are teaching leadership, that there's mm -hmm. that discipline siloing that happens. And we get fearful that, that they're going to take our territory or we're truly the people who should be teaching leadership. And, and often that fear comes from just not knowing, just not having experience, just not having the knowledge around what's happening. So it was quick, kind of quickly that we both started to realize if we could just help bridge that gap, that maybe that fear would go away, that people would start communicating. We should start doing the things that we kind of preach within our programs of collaboration. Mm -hmm. So the idea of bringing together uh, political science and sociology and business and communication studies, higher education, student affairs, engineering, medicine, uh, looking at medicine, um, arm, army, ROTC and military science. We're trying to make sure I don't forget anybody. Psychology, sociology uh, in, in that process, um, women's studies, interdisciplinary studies. By looking at all of those and, and getting experts to be able to kind of weigh in on how those disciplines ultimately teach leadership education and just see leadership was so important to start bridging those gaps. So it just made sense to me that, that we would move in this direction. Um, but Susan, I, comments that you have on, on when we started and, and why we ultimately kind of moved in this direction? Well, I would would say I could hardly want, wait to work with you on another project. So mm -hmm. it was a pleasure for me when you so quickly said yes and a relief. Uh, and I agree too. This is, I think that people already doing leadership education, and I'll speak from a student affairs perspective since that's been my background, um, really need to understand better what academic disciplines are doing mm. for those who both are doing it intentionally and then how it's unintentionally happening in disciplines that expect their students to be leaders but don't put in the design and the curriculum or the experiences and reflect on it in a way that leadership may develop. So um, it's interesting to me from a student affairs lens to know better about how the whole 
academy is approaching leadership, if it is at all. Uh, I think it also connects to institutional missions. And in the first chapter, Matt and I in this book wrote a couple, tell you a little bit about the issue, but we wrote a couple first chapters over, with a bigger picture look um, to what missions are, what disciplines are. Um, and then we selected from, he was giving you a list of um, actual disciplines that we feature in a section where they used a templated approach to actually address them. What is leadership in their field? What dis how do they approach it? What models do they use? How do they approach ethical leadership? Um, mm -hmm. What are some resources, uh, evidence of good practice, um, accreditation standards? And so the, there's a whole middle section that I think is very rich with, though, and we'll talk about some of those a little later, but those disciplines um, and how they approach leadership. And then um, Matt in particular did a great job thematizing from those and ending the issue with um, uh, commonalities and differences across disciplines and mm. what meaning we make out of that. Uh, but we started all this off with saying institutions in their mission statements usually say something about we're trying to develop um, students to be leaders in their profession, society, and community, to be citizen leaders, leaders of a global culture, and yet either take that on and do it well or uh, it's just a throwaway line and nobody does anything with it. But accrediting associations are going to be holding us all more accountable for those mission statements. And we know from people's work like George Koo and others that if a mission is intentionally implemented, it really does enhance that ability to develop whatever it is, in this case, leadership in all students. So we think it's really important to do that. Uh, we also thought we need to understand more about how disciplines, um, what they even are. And disciplines have... There are a number of taxonomies of disciplines that have been used, and probably the most common one by Biglin looks at um, six dimensions of discipline, three dimensions in two different uh, uh, avenues of disciplines, like soft or hard, pure or applied, uh, life or non-life. You know, like physics would be a hard, pure, non-life discipline, mm -hmm. um, while education uh, would be a soft applied life discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, you, you have different cat and we have other categories in there too, like Holland codes and all that. But if you look at the categories of disciplines, they naturally then attract people who have certain strengths and also then have gaps in what we need to teach them. So the more hard and non life a discipline might be, the more they need help with human resources, human relations, mm -hmm. community building. Mm -hmm. And so we, we wanted to try to bring some frameworks like that to understand that each discipline has a context and a culture, that they may have a different perspective, perspective of leadership, or they might actually uh, learn from each other where other disciplines are doing leadership well. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's really good that we've tried to ground this whole issue in disciplines can be studied in themselves, and there are frameworks that would help us do that. And Matt and his um, GA in particular did a nice piece of work with some research that we had from the uh, Multi-Institutional Study of Leadership looking at about 50,000 juniors and seniors and how they scored on the uh, socially responsible leadership scale and then what their leadership efficacy was. So we have some really interesting findings by groups of disciplines that I think people using the book will find as a great uh, benchmark around which to advocate for leadership in their own disciplines. We can talk about that too if you'd want, but I thought I'd give you those kind of overviews. Absolutely, and, and let's talk about kind of this, this discipline side. Now, you are both faculty members and uh, have been a part of, of multiple different disciplines. And so tell us how that influenced the way that you approach this work, Matt. I mean, I know you have 
uh, come from both business discipline as well as ag leadership. So how does, how does that influence you in this? Yeah, I, I think that had a, a, a significant influence over one taking on this project and feeling like I had uh, at least some perception around some of the challenges of moving from a leadership program that was housed within a business school uh, with the intention of teaching business leadership or uh, business process within leadership, organizational leadership, those sort of things, and then moving to uh, the University of Florida, where the uh, leadership program is housed in the um, agricultural school and mm -hmm. communications, education, and, and leadership. So I, I really had to kind of switch my uh, way of thinking to this new context in which I had to understand that it wasn't just about business leadership and I had to earn some of the right to be teaching within the ag school to understand mm. that context. So mm. it, it was kind of a second coming of this, this process for me going through this book and understanding that it's not just these two disciplines. It's, it's a number of discipline, different disciplines that ultimately go through um, a different way of teaching uh, leadership education to their students, contributing to leadership education. Um, and I think the context really does matter. It, it does have an impact, the history has an impact, and then ultimately the way things are measured have an impact. So for me, it really was significant making that transition, being at the beginning of the transition for ag leadership, and then really kind of seeing myself try to understand that and applying it to the book so that those who read this maybe get a cheat sheet into how do we understand different disciplines a little bit quicker. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and Susan, what about you coming from the student affairs and the higher education side? Yeah, well, and I would, I, for 18 years, I was in student affairs practice. Mm -hmm. So I was a, an administrator, a student affairs educator, and an administrator doing this work, and actually was teaching leadership courses in the early 70s mm -hmm. uh, when I was in residence life at the University of Tennessee and at Denison. Um, then I became a grad faculty member in 87, and the 70s and 80s going into the 90s were a time when our whole country was focused on inclusion, multiculturalism, um, social identity development, um, the role of culture in one's life, and we clearly needed better leadership models than existed. A lot of them at that point, and I, I don't by any means mean to bash business, but business was probably one of the only disciplines giving a lot of attention to leadership slash management mm -hmm. and how you accomplish goals working with people in an organization. But a lot of that was um, Robert Ringer's kind of work on looking out for number one and winning through intimidation. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there were the, the models that those advanced weren't as effective with wanting to teach college students uh, as we needed. So it was really exciting in the early 90s being a grad faculty member where you're supposed to be doing uh, service and teaching and um, research. It was really fun to be involved in projects that led to things like the social change model with leadership development or the relational leadership model that's in our Exploring Leadership book that says that, that we need to look at the ways we relate to each other that should be ethical and inclusive mm -hmm. in organizations. And the advancing that as leadership as a process was very exciting to do. The student affairs and higher ed field of study as a discipline um, draws on numerous disciplines. It's very inter and multidisciplinary. So there's lots of work that we use out of psychology and sociology. And over time, a lot of work that's grown within the field, uh, like identity theories and uh, 
learning and, and teaching theories. And so all that's been very helpful. But um, to see to see the discipline of higher ed and student affairs contribute to, in particular, leadership education has been very exciting all of these last 30 or 40 years um, because we all believe that leadership can be taught and developed or we wouldn't be in this work. Absolutely. So, as, so it's really been in, inspiring to me to see so many people becoming now leadership educators. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, and it's, it's an exciting and, and meaningful work to get to be a part of, whether you are coming at it from the academic side or the student affairs side. Um, you know, it, it, it helps you feel, feel purposeful in the work that we do, and, and that's, that's very exciting. So, Susan, you talked about this earlier about how we are seeing more and more institutions or in professional associations, you know, sort of putting leadership in their mission statements or in their strategic plans. But, but what's the difference between an organization sort of espousing this ideal of leadership, but then actually effectively developing leaders? Well, I think there's a huge difference. Um, I'd go back to the coup studies that he and his colleagues did again, that where mission statements were enacted, they had significant positive outcomes. If you actually go about trying to do something, you usually can accomplish it. Right. So if it's stated there that it's in the strategic plan and in the mission and the various entities in the institution believe they need to uphold that through their curriculum and through their programming, then it's likely that those things would occur. I would say, though, it's a it's a it's not necessary to be in the mission to still be implemented at the institution. Mm -hmm. And I think we we all would like to see programs and disciplines doing leadership work because it's the right thing to do, because it helps their graduates be more effective, even if the institution's mission doesn't have it. But if the mission has it, it, it usually leads to more resources, uh, more systematic implementation, needs assessment, um, and it speaks to the need for sustainability. Like too many campuses have a great leadership program even in student affairs, but if that one person leaves, right. the whole thing might not continue the next year. That's right. But if it's in your mission and you need to continue the office and you've got to hire the staff to replace ones who left, then it's sustainable. You know, So that would be the goal for all of us. Uh, but it, all of us can build on uh, what we think should happen um, to make this a better world. And I think we have that obligation to do that. Mm -hmm. But missions that have it make a difference. And doing it anyway is also important. That's great. Absolutely. So one of the things that you all do in this edition that is, I think, particularly useful is, is to go into these disciplines and actually, you know, chapter by chapter, discipline by discipline, draw out the uh, approaches that they have to leadership development. So I, I, I was hoping you could go in and, and highlight a few of those things, uh, some of those great insights you got from the way that those different academic disciplines approach leadership development. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that was our aim. It was to always kind of get to this place where we could talk about what similarities we were sharing um, and identify what unique things were happening within each of the disciplines so that there could be some best practice shared in, in that process. I think that the three things that I saw and kind of combining some of the disciplines here um, and talking about some of those similarities and then kind of going into each of them, one of those things was the growth of leadership education. Now, we talk about how do academic disciplines um, impact uh, leadership education, but I think the reverse is also true. We found out pretty quickly that leadership education and the boom that it had in the 90s and, and kind of 
from that point forward has really significantly impacted different academic disciplines, that academic disciplines had to quickly figure out how they were going to take a piece of this pie, this piece of leadership, and then what would that do to their departments and how would they recruit faculty that would be able to talk about this or how would they ask faculty who had no education in leadership to quickly kind of learn that and take on this secondary approach. So this growth of leadership education that has happened has significantly impacted higher education. And that was something in all the disciplines that we kind of saw that impact. And I think there was something that kind of quickly jumped out to us in the idea of trying to put these different disciplines into place and talk a little bit about them. When we started thinking about, and I think one of the biggest challenges we had was which disciplines do we write chapters on? There's Hmm. certainly more disciplines within higher education than those that are in this book, but um, we, we listed out those that seem to make just sense, you know, something like business, which has been doing it for a number of years, or student affairs. Uh, and then we got into ones where we knew programs or there were some really good programs and kind of felt like if there, there were good programs in that area, maybe the area was defining things. So something like engineering, Susan had some connections uh, or had, had read about, had heard about engineering, having some really good programs, uh, especially in Canada. And um, that just made sense that we would do something like that. And then we started to list those that, that should have good programs, something like psychology. We get so much of our leadership education knowledge from psychology. How would psychology handle this? And, and what we learned uh, was that there is really a difference between providing two leadership education. So programs like psychology, which provide to the leadership education everybody uses, and those that provide leadership education to students. So mm-hmm. psychology, although it provides uh, a great deal of our knowledge about leadership education, it doesn't, it isn't as advanced in providing leadership education programs in its discipline as something like uh, maybe an agriculture or, or engineering, which probably provides really uh, strong leadership education programs, but maybe doesn't com- you know, commit as much to how uh, leadership education is drawing from that and how other disciplines are using. So that distinction became pretty clear. And it, it really was interesting to be able to kind of map out where di- disciplines fell on that spectrum of providing to leadership education or providing leadership education. And then the final thing, and I hope I repeat this enough times, is that we are all kind of dealing with the same challenges out there. And that was obvious in a number of the different disciplines that we were looking at, that, you know, technology and how we're addressing technology within leadership education is something that sociology is dealing with, that agriculture is dealing with, that business is dealing with. And and we're all kind of dealing with it ourselves. We're really siloed in that. I hope what the book does is it it really is a, a good way to go in and see how different disciplines are uh, addressing some in the same way and some in very, very different ways in that process. I know when we talk about education, how we're educating students, that became uh, a pretty common theme throughout. So experiential learning was something that we found uh, all the, the disciplines we're talking about. And I really enjoyed getting to hear from a program like arts and music and how they were teaching a leadership program within that department and how they were going out and having students 
put together with the, the mayor and uh, the mayor's cabinet uh, programs to offer to the community and taking some of the leadership on with that and having that experiential learning. So there were some really kind of gems, best practices that are happening within this book that I think um, you can definitely uh, use in your programs and, and certainly be able to kind of engage with others across your university um, to share resources and, and, and some of those ideas across. Yeah. I would add to that too, that we intentionally tried to pick at least one discipline from each of a taxonomy of disciplines mm -hmm. that Nessie uses in their research. Hmm. So the National Study on Student Engagement is done probably on every college campus in the country, and they have categorized disciplines, and we thought they really were a good example of types of fields of study that had a lot of commonalities among them. So if we picked one from each of those, we would be illustrating the this concept that we talked about earlier of how disciplines have their own culture and context and expectations. And that was very, very useful. One thing that really amazed me, and I wanted, wanted to speak just a minute or two about one of the chapters. We were very fortunate to get the agreement of Colonel Melly, Paul Melly at uh, Virginia Tech. He is the director of the Army ROT program in the military science department there and I uh, I think everybody should read that to get a to, to completely understand what ROTC is doing as a group of educators for young people on our campus who go on to be military officers I also remember at ILA in 2018 Barbara Kellerman really admonished everybody that the very best entity in the United States doing lifelong leadership development was the military hmm. and that it was intentional and it was scaffolded and it um, built complex skills over time and that other entities, uh, organizations, higher, higher education uh, companies, all should do that to keep enhancing uh, the leadership capacity of our culture. But it is really impressive to see in that chapter the way they scaffold programs from first year to senior year, how they, they sequentially um, sequence experiential learning opportunities for students so they become more complex. They have remarkable feedback mechanisms where the student is actually given feedback on how they're doing on these various things. And, and we just don't do that much in other kinds of leadership training. Even in student affairs, we do very little feedback, maybe feedback on a paper and maybe a 360 assessment if a program is, has the resources to do it. But there's a lot to learn from each other in these chapters. And I would really encourage people to look at the ROTC chapter. Yeah, I, I think you're so right, Susan. In this, like the other piece of this that that we didn't mention yet, but I think really needs to be mentioned is the authors were kind of amazing in this this process. Uh, we went out to kind of search for those people who would have enough breadth and depth in their knowledge, and then ask them to go ahead and kind of engage in a study of what else is out there. A, a lot of the folks who we asked certainly have written in their discipline, have written about leadership, but I don't know if they wrote about how academic disciplines were being impacted by leadership education or impacting leadership education. So they went on this uh, kind of self-journey to find this out, to contact programs, and we found them through so many different ways. Some we knew, some we asked a, a bunch of our colleagues, and the, one name would come up. I know um, Bill and Penny Weeks was a really good example. I was really interested in the um, ag leadership uh, chapter, of course, because of, the, of being housed in an ag leadership program. 
so when I went out and asked people, it, uh, Bill and Penny Weeks' his name came up over and over and over again. So it was a natural ask at that moment to just see if they would be interested. And time and time again, we had authors who not only were interested, but really excited about the chance to get to know that discipline a little bit more, to really find those those programs that were doing kind of extraordinary stuff and communicating in a way that we could share this over that template um, so that if you weren't in the discipline, you could learn as much as you could about it. We really did have some amazing authors in this. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's one of the great things about uh, any time you engage in work like this is getting to find really exciting, really engaging folks and, and ask them to dig in and, and share their insights and thoughts. And, and we all get to learn from that great work that way. And, and Matt, one, of my, you... one of my favorite stories was when we asked Amy Barnes to do the higher education student affairs chapter. Susan had to ask her to write this chapter. Uh, I, I quickly stepped out and said, both of you can handle this. And I know uh, Amy really felt uh, a sense of, I got to get this right. Susan <laughs> knows a lot about this. And that was a really exciting exchange that I got to see between the two of them in writing that chapter. And that is just such a strong, strong chapter because of Amy's expertise, because of Susan's expertise, and just how well they work together in being able to bring about the things that they've known for uh, years and years and years about student affairs. That, that was really exciting for me to see those two work on that chapter. Absolutely. Well, and that's one of the things that, Matt, you, you did for this entire uh, issue, right, was pull themes that come from all of these different chapters and to really dig into the work that these authors have done and see what themes emerge. And so what, what did you see from each of these different disciplines? What, what big themes are there in, in this field? So my, my past kind of history in leadership, I, I've taken on a number of different things. We talked a little bit about the humility. One of my real passions was a project I got to do for the International Leadership Association a number of years back. And it was looking at kind of formalized program review, things like accreditation or um, how how leadership education programs would assess whether they were doing what they were doing. And, and that's w one of the first ways that I got to meet Susan and really kind of engage with Susan. She was on a, a, a group or a board that was giving some insight to that as, as we had moved forward, kind of making recommendations to the International Leadership Association group. And during that time period, I really kind of fell in love with a tool that was developed in 2009 that this International Leadership Association's guiding questions. And, and that comes from uh, another group uh, that the ILA put together, kind of charged with this idea of how would we evaluate programs. If we were going to look at programs, how might we go about evaluating them? And that group, with a tremendous amount of wisdom, um, proposed these questions, not these are what's right or wrong, but really kind of this, this body of knowledge to suggest, here's the questions you want to be asking yourselves, here's what the, the, the literature says about those areas, and as you ask those questions, how are you then assessing uh, what you're doing? So I fell absolutely in love with them. I know that's a free resource on International uh, Leadership Association's uh, webpage. So uh, I would recommend people use those if you're looking to evaluate. And there's a number of really great uh, evaluation tools, and Susan knows a, a ton of them and has been part of creating a ton of them. But this one in particular, I then thought about using uh, again in this research. It really helped me kind of take a look at uh, the disciplines overall, the programs that they were talking about overall, and really quickly put them into areas that we can see some 
significant uh, differences, but but mostly similarities in that. And how could we map out those similarities? Um, so when it talked about things like conceptual framework of programs, you know, looking at disciplines and how those conceptual fr frameworks are developed, we found a number of different things that programs were doing uh, kind of the same context uh, is another part of the guiding questions. And it talks about, you know, what is the context of your program? How does the context impact your leadership education, uh, how you deliver leadership education. And, and that certainly relates to some of the stuff I talked before about history and how history really matters in, in this case. Most of the leadership programs and how they're run, certainly what they teach come from the history of the discipline. So communications mm -hmm. would certainly talk a lot about um, Socrates and Aristotle. Agriculture looked back at some of the laws that were formed uh, in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s in ag and and really kind of impacted the decisions making at that point in time, which then is used uh, to frame how leadership education is is taught at, at this point. I think the idea and one of the most important things to me was this idea of accreditation, uh, program review, uh, how we measure our programs. And um, Susan brought up. Barbara Kellerman in, in the speech she had for ILA. In that speech, she also talked about the, the absolute necessity for our programs to start being measured, to, to get to a place where we can evaluate what we're doing and hold people accountable, hold ourselves accountable, hold leaders accountable in this process. I'm a, a, a big believer in program review. I think that is a place that we can really see some um, strides uh, made in leadership education. And I saw the struggle within this, uh, writing this book that disciplines have had in being able to articulate um, to stakeholders the value that these leadership programs hold in, in this process. So, you know, a couple of different things happen. One, programs don't do anything. They just don't measure it at all. And a lot of it is anecdotal or, you know, satisfaction, how much did you enjoy this class or this program? And that's really kind of where they leave it. While other programs have, um, you know, governing boards that require them to ultimately build out an evaluation process. And what we're finding is that a lot of disciplines have developed their own methods and, and decided on what they're going to use to ultimately evaluate that. And I think there's some something good about that. We can certainly learn from the ways that people have done it. We can learn from what uh, different academic disciplines are doing to uh, certainly evaluate and measure the outcomes of students and their programs, and, and maybe most importantly, how they're using those outcomes to make purposeful changes. Then I think there's some negatives in that we, uh, as a body uh, uh, or a field, um, really are lacking in kind of that cross-discipline uh, talk that needs to happen, communication that needs to happen around how we are ultimately moving leadership education forward. And that's because we are all doing our own things, measuring our own things, and, and ultimately determining what is important in that process. So I, I am a, a big believer that we need to move forward with a, a more formalized program review. I don't know if accreditation is necessarily it, but I do think a formalized program review process. And I think not providing tools, not providing uh, kind, kind of common tools or guidance around that has forced disciplines to go in many, many different ways that has really impacted the field, both in a positive and a negative 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, and that came out in this edition, right? This, this key theme about the need for all of us engaged in this work in whatever form to, to work together to do this, whether that's discipline to discipline or whether that's academic affairs, working with student affairs. So Susan, what, what's your advice? How do we help folks to actually do that? Well, I, I, you know, that's different campus by campus. Every campus has its own context for sure. Um, but I think it means in adopting intentionally some mindsets from whatever positionality you have on your campus that says it's okay that we may do things differently, but we can share what we're doing and we can help improve the leadership education in each of our units and then somehow come together across the campus to do that. Uh, it, it means in developing that mindset, understand your own department, like if someone was listening to this and they were in biology or they were in um, physiology, how does your own department view the way you want your students to interact with others when they're doing their professional work and how will you teach them that kind of leadership? If we can't identify our own perspectives and assumptions would be uh, less capable in having those shared conversations. So start with understanding yourself and your in your own disciplinary approach and then find the commons, find the community, find find ways to interact with each other. I would just tell you one quick story that I, th I was so pleased with it in my latter years at Maryland. Um, the provost and the director of research, graduate research for the university, both co-sponsored uh, a group of scholars do, do, doing research and doing work on leadership to meet and then set up a leadership scholars network. And anyone was invited to come to those network meetings. They were once a month. You could be a grad student in psychology, someone in the human resources office, or a if you were interested in the scholarship on leadership, come to those meetings, find each other, build networks, and that always included time to talk uh, among ourselves. So I was ended up on many different doctoral dissertation committees because I met people there who were from other departments who needed a committee member. Sure. Or people got people got together and wrote joint grants to get uh, money for the research because they were doing research in the same area, but they didn't know it. And if they went together, they would have a better chance to get the grant. Mm. At the same time, the campus set up a leadership educators community, and Craig Slack, Craig Slack was the prime mover behind that. He's the chair of the National Clearing house for leadership programs and Craig gathered and this group met monthly for years a group of leadership educators from ROTC and the chaplain's office and undergrad faculty and people interested in doing the actual leadership development leadership education work and that group would do things together um, like all take the true colors to see how that instrument help them with facilitating leadership or all learn about some research that had happened and how they could apply it in their settings. But um, finding ways for us to come together around our differences because we have the similarity of wanting to do the best scholarship and the best practice we can for students. And those were wonderful uh, years where those kinds of things occurred. Now, I think that's pretty ideal. Mm -hmm. I think that it's not as common that might occur, but it can happen in a fractal way with some Someone calling together a lunch meeting of five or six people they happen to know who all like doing leadership education from different units and seeing where that goes. Hmm. Uh, good things will come out of good people having a good conversation. So I would encourage you to not think of the boundaries and silos that historically have kind of divided us, but look at our shared interests for students and their leadership, and people will come together around that. 
That's such great advice. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. There's so much power around just creating that space and creating opportunities for people to get together and, and talk. And uh, what an extraordinary uh, thing that we can all institute on our own campuses. So, you know, you, you've sat with this work for, for a while now. What is it that you both hope that folks take away from, from this edition? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. I was thinking about that last night. Um, me and Susan have been working on it for a number of years now, and, and it just kind of came to me last night that this is, this to me feels very much, Susan had been talking about doing a podcast and this podcast uh, as being kind of uh, this celebration or that, that moment when we kind of finish up and, and move this forward. So mm -hmm. I thought it was a great moment to reflect on that. I think a great deal of work went into providing um, a reference guide for individuals who are really passionate about the work they do, and we're all very, very passionate about this leadership education piece, to, to not only uh, look at your own discipline, and I think that's really important, is to read over the chapter on your own discipline, find some things that people are doing, find some connections you have, not only in your own university, but outside your university with people who are hearing that same passion that you have in the discipline that you have. Um, and, and that's just so important. I, I'm going to have all my students uh, read over the ag uh, leadership piece. I think it's so well written and it provides such a great historical perspective of how we got to where we are today that students need to know because history does matter. Uh, the past matters. It certainly matters as we move forward. Um, but I also think it allows us to better understand the relationships we have with others doing leadership education, teaching leadership, uh, running leadership programs within our university. And I, I hope it builds better relationships within that university. If you go and you have an opportunity to say, okay, uh, ROTC, they keep asking me to offer some classes. I don't know why. I don't even know what they do down there. I promise you, if you read the, the, the chapter, you'll have a better understanding of how they approach it and uh, will certainly make you better able to have conversations with the individuals who are, are providing that ROTC or military science program. And finally, I, I think what the book does really well is it takes all of that information and then provides a, a really nice checklist at the, the, the back end of the last chapter, recommendations that uh, you really should read just to be able to say, how am I matching up to this? What am I doing with this? Is this something that I'm pushing forward? Stuff like establishing the importance of history within my program and how my discipline impacts leadership education, or looking at the idea of most disciplines at this point talk about leadership as a process. It's no longer just a position. So am I just talking about leadership as a position within my leadership education program, just the CEO or that sort of stuff, or am I talking about it as a process? Because that becomes really important as we move these common themes forward and start to build on those to add to our leadership education. I really do hope that people will get a great deal out of it. I think those were wonderful observations. I'll just add a brief one. I think it was very clear to us that there is an emerging group of people who will be called and are called leadership educators. Mm -hmm. Some of us have been around for a lot of years doing leadership education, like in the co-curriculum. But there are faculty within their disciplines who have taken on leadership education and fought the hard fight to get a course approved or to turn some kind of experiential learning, internship supervision uh, into uh, reflection on leadership. They're working hard to do that, and they need resources. 
And I think a, a frontier for those of us who have been in leadership education for a long time is to keep the flow of materials going for leadership educators that fit their context, in this case, in their disciplines. And I hope that this book will be one of those contributors to people seeing I am a communications faculty member or the drama coach, but I'm also a leadership educator and be willing to take on the, that their interest in that is a field to study in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Matt, let me get your take on that. Where do you think the field of leadership education on college campuses is, is, is headed? And how do folks listening in get involved and, and influence that direction? I, I hope this this book is one example of where I certainly hope the future goes. I, I had the opportunity to write a book called Leadership 2050 about um, four years ago, maybe five years now. Uh, and what we did was we kind of looked at where leadership is going over the next 35 years. And then Trump got elected president and the coronavirus happened. And now the book is completely irrelevant <laughs> at this point. So it only took three years to really <laughs> realize that I couldn't predict the future at all in that process. And that's not true. I mean, I think the book still has a great deal of advice and, and, and certainly uh, recommendations as we move towards the future. But predicting the future is really hard. What I hope happens in the future and what I hope uh, me and Susan were part of is what I think really does need to happen is a lot more collaboration around leadership education. Uh, if you look across the landscape, there are so many different associations. Um, there are so many different journals. There's, there's just a number of different people all pursuing uh, kind of this individual goal towards leadership, uh, leadership education, leadership programming. And I think that has provided a great deal of value. And there's a lot written in this book about why that was the case and how we got to where we are today. But I think the future of leadership is really connecting and, and collaborating more across those different disciplines, certainly across different associations, across different writing. Um, and, and hopefully through that, we'll be able to learn from each other and advance the, the field even faster than we have at this point. And, and that's really my hope for the future is this collaboration. So if you're looking to be involved, don't hesitate to reach out to someone in your university and see what they're doing and build the best program there. And certainly don't, don't hesitate to reach out outside of your university and find someone in ag leadership like myself and, and work on a project so that we can start this tradition of reaching outside of those aisles. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think one of the things that I have found to be true of, of people who are engaged in this work is many of them are naturally collaborative. And so when you reach out to folks to ask them for, for help or partnership or advice, I mean, people are, are very willing to do that. And, and I know I always find a lot of joy in the way that people reach across those barriers and, and build those fantastic relationships. It's very encouraging, I think. So. One last question for, for both of you. Uh, you know, you've, you've done this great work around uh, understanding leadership in academic disciplines. You'll continue to do that. But what's the next question about leadership that you both are thinking about? 
Well, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I have lots of questions always about leadership, like what's the long-term impact? If we look mm-hmm. at people who are really effective as alumni, as professionals at work, how did they get to be that way? That led us to our leadership identity development research. But I'm really interested in which of our programs and practices or philosophies or approaches or modeling really contributed to that. I think Purdue and Gallup uh, have a, are onto something with their project of looking of asking alums to look back on experiences and see what contributed most uh, to their long-term impact. So I think mm. we need to do more of that. I, I will I will not go in. I have several other questions too, like critical approaches to leadership around power and injustice and oppression and things we need to do better. Mm. But in my hat with this series, as you all have said, I'm also the series co-editor with Kathy Guthrie. So we're always looking at what topics need to be explored in more depth or focused on that would help leadership educators in their work. So the issue that's coming up right after this one is on spirituality and leadership. Then there's an issue on evidence-based practice and leadership. So looking at the research that does exist and when what does the evidence say we should be doing, and then how does that play out in practice? And then an issue on followership. We need to probably re-examine the the importance of that word and that role, and that the and then the another issues in the works on uh, social class and the implications of social class on leadership development. Hmm. So we've got some issues coming up that your listeners can look forward to in the next year. Awesome. And I would say that I uh, plan on taking a day off so that I'm hoping uh, Susan will call me on Thursday or Friday and tell me what sort of stuff I could uh, start asking questions about and writing about in the future <laughs> in this process. No, I, 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 I think there's still a lot to be done on this topic. I think this we just kind of introduced the topic, and I know that Susan would agree with me. There's a, a tremendous amount of research that we've collected at this point that I'm really excited about publishing. Uh, there's a lot of other questions across disciplines that we can can look at and start to uh, bridge that divide. Um, so I, I'm really excited about continuing this work and, and really uh, working with others uh, on some of the stuff that they're doing as it relates to academic disciplines and how they approach leadership education. And then I think the humility stuff is, is certainly something that I would uh, articulate again as just being tremendously important. I think, you know, as we learn more, how we get that into leadership education at the front end and allow um, allow leaders to really understand the importance of humility as it, it builds out some of the things that we're doing from a practical standpoint, but also from a leadership theory standpoint. Oh. Yeah, what, what exciting things to, to think about and, and be working towards and really appreciate the work that you all have done on, on this and, and the enlightenment and, and what a great conversation. Uh, what a great way to get to start to understand the role of academic disciplines and leadership development and the way that, the really hopeful idea that we can all work together. So huge thanks to Matthew Sachek and Susan Komovez. Thank you both so much for being here today. What a great conversation. Thank this you. This so much fun. Yeah, awesome. this is awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, and thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, it, you can get more information about our knowledge community on our various social media outlets, including Twitter, we're at NASPA SLPKC. Instagram, we're at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at John Mark Bay. And now if you want to channel your inner Susan Comavez and let us know what we should be researching or talking about next on <laughs> this podcast, uh, we want to hear from you. You can send us an email. We are at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us today. <laughs>